Let's pray. Father, once again, we uh, come to you acknowledging your presence in our midst and acknowledging your authority, your power, not just your presence. And beyond that, Lord, we acknowledge also the authority of your word in our lives. And we ask you that you will pour out your spirit so that we may somehow comprehend and your spirit will explain the things, the truth that is contained in the scripture so that it will touch every part of our beings, Lord Jesus, our minds, our emotions, our feelings even, our hearts, so that we will be transformed and become more and more like Jesus, your son. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go uh, to First uh, Peter. We've been going through First Peter for the last three sermons or four sermons that I, that I, that I, uh, that I preach. Still can't get over chapter one, actually. <laughs> uh, so uh, this, at this moment, let's read First uh, Peter chapter one, verse thirteen. Like I said last week. When you read the Bible, you know, I always tell people, the Bible will say what it is meant to say, not what I think, what, what, not what I think it says, it, it will say what it is meant to say. And there, therefore, one of the dangerous things is when we read the Bible, we, we can pretend to bring our presupposition to the text rather than the understanding the writer's presupposition. And in this case, like I mentioned last week, as I study the book of Peter, it's amazing the language of Exodus is very strong in uh, Peter's writing. When I say the language of Exodus, I'm not saying just the book of Exodus, but the narrative of Exodus, that is Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we will see it here. Verse 13 Continue on uh, from last week. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, and actually the uh, Greek tra- translation says, I mentioned that last week, therefore, girding or having girded the loins of your mind. That's, pre- that's a very, very uh, sort of uh, Exodus language there. When the children of Israel have their loins girded as they eat Passover, and this is in the context of their salvation. Therefore, with the minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, because, uh, be holy because I am holy. Once again, that is a quotation from the book of Leviticus. And on that point, I want you to jump all the way to First uh, Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 9. Because when you read scripture like holy, you, know, you get this holiness movement. And uh, there are all kinds of stuff going on with the holy, holiness movement. So, uh, let's read First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9, just to explain a little bit. 
Listen to this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And again, once again, this is a quotation from Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. You are a chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful or marvelous light. The point I'm reading that, that, that scripture is that here's the thing about holiness. We are not just normal, like, like, just like I said, we are not natural people trying to do, perform and, and, and act spiritual. We are actually spiritual people living in the natural world. So too, Peter asks the readers to be holy and he points to their spiritual identity. He said, you are a chosen and holy people. So we are not unholy people try to be holy. We are already been made holy by virtue of our faith in Jesus Christ. But so now it's like live like holy people would live. Does that make sense? So the, the whole series, as I, you know, we, we've been going through this series of what it means to be spiritual people. So the title of my sermon this morning is The State of Mind of the Spiritual People. <laughs> okay? As we read through First Peter, right from, from uh, chapter 1, just want to uh, recap what we've, what we've covered. Our spirituality has nothing to do with what we do and, and our, our performance. It has everything to do with God himself. Okay? It begins with 1 Peter chapter 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, where, you know, the essence of our identity is by his chosen. He called the people, the, his readers, the elect. So, and, and we listed last week. So, here's the thing, your identity, number one, you can say, I'm divinely elected by God. Number two, our spiritual identity is because of our being born again, in verse 3. First Peter 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. And then as we move on to verse 10 to verse 12, our identity where Peter described that we are greater than the prophets because they're looking towards, as they move by the Holy Spirit through the corridors of time, they could see in the future something is about to happen, that, the, the salvation that you are now living in now. So what Peter is really implying is that we're greater than the Old Testament prophets. And that's confirming what Jesus said. This is not just my interpretation. Remember Jesus said, of all the men, the prophets, that are, he said, what do you see about John the Baptist? A prophet, more than a prophet. And of all men, born of a woman, no one is greater than, greater than John the Baptist, but he who is in the kingdom of God, the least in the kingdom of God, is greater than John the Baptist. There you go. So we're greater than the prophets. Not only that, in verse 12, he said, even angels are really wanting to, to see what's going on with our salvation in, in verse 12. So we're greater than the angels. As I put it bluntly, Jesus didn't come to die for the fallen angels. He came to die for the fallen humanity. Isn't that great? So, that's the essence of our identity. 
Now, the verse that we read pretty much, Peter was starting to deal with people's way of thinking. Unfortunately, many times, our thinking is not in line with who we really are. The state of our mind, what it is driven by, is not by the truth. You know, the world is driven by emotion and how you feel about things. Whatever makes you feel happy. Don't offend people. Don't, you know, it's like, it's just the minute you feel offended, and you, 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 you define yourself by how you feel. If you feel you're a man today, you're a man. But tomorrow you might feel you're a woman. I mean, you know. Am I defined by how I feel? You know, I'm defined by the truth. And the truth is the word of God. So I want to focus on this verse particularly. There are three points I, I pointed out last week in verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at this coming. So three things I'm going to repeat it every, you know, over and over. Okay, point number one in verse 13. After having our mind fully alert, ready for action, the loins of our mind fully, uh, what's the word? Uh, Girded, <laughs> okay? Ready for action with who we are. All the things that I just said before, divinely chosen, born again, greater than the prophets, greater than angels, our minds need to be fully engaged in those sort of things, who we are in God. And then he said, at the same time, after you've done all that, Make sure you're constantly, at any time, sober. Once you've done those two, then you can set your hope on your future. And the statement I made last week, anything less than that is not setting our hope. We're just daydreaming. <laughs> and many people thinking they were hoping, they were setting their hope. They were just daydreaming because their mind's not, they don't have the discipline of mind. Their mind, the loins of their, of their minds are not girded, you know. They're not fully alert. They're not sober on a constant, consistent base. Somebody once said, many aspire but only a few attain. <laughs> That's a good statement. You can write that down. That's not mine. I've read that somewhere. Many aspire, but only a few attain. I think Calvin's sermon, uh, this is last year, he said, being a basketballer, he said those guys in, in the NBA, it wasn't their talent alone that took them there. There are some, many talented people, they're not in the NBA. There's something else. 
<laughs> so in, in using this language, obviously Peter, Peter learned from the, the Israelis' experience, and I want to reiterate again how Israel, how it took God one night to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And the point I was making is one thing to take, to, to take God, uh, for God to take people out of slavery, but to take slaves out of the people, it's a different story. It's like it's easier to take a person out of a prison than to take the prison out of a person. You can be free outside there, but the prison is still inside of you. But look at the difference. Paul and Silas. They were in prison, but the prison wasn't in them. That's why they could praise God while in prison. So when the, the, the jail was opened supernaturally, the jailer thought they were going to escape. They said, no, no, we're not going to escape because we don't need to escape. We might be in prison, but the prison is not in us. <laughs> and the jailer almost killed himself. Guess who's the one in prison? <laughs> Not Paul and Silas. They were in prison, but prison wasn't in them. Let's look at a, let's have a closer look at the state of mind of the the uh, Israelites. Even though geographically they they were out of Egypt and on the way, you know, ge- geographically speaking, to the Promised Land, but because their minds are not fixed on their future. Undisciplined. The moment they got under pressure, they revert back to the past. And what did I say? We're better off in Egypt. Let's go back. <laughs> For that, let me, let's, let's go to Numbers chapter 13, you know, just to get the story right here. I'm going to read from uh, verse 26. Numbers 13. So this is, God said to Moses, send, send some people to spy out the land. So he sent from every tribe a representation. And they went to, to, uh, to the land, to the promised land. And then they came back to Moses in verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly, showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live, live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified, very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in Negev, the, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, Vegemites, all the Ites, and you know, <laughs> all these Ites and whatever, termites. You know. <laughs> then Kaik Caleb silenced the people before Moses said, we should go up and take possession of the land 
for we can certainly do it. But when the man who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people, they are stronger than we are. And they, and they spread among the Israelites bad news, bad report about the land. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw, they're great people, great size. We saw the Nephilim. They're the descendant of Anak. And then, and then this, is, this is crazy. And I want you to, to underline this, this last statement. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. So all night, they were all crying, weeping. And they said, you know, why would God bring us here? We would have been better in Egypt. And let's go back to Egypt. Let's, let's just see what's happening here. They did, actually, they gave a good report. They said, the land is great. Certainly, flows with milk and honey just like God told us. And as, as a matter of fact, a few verses before that, it says they brought a cluster of grapes. And they said, look, a cluster of grapes. What kind of grapes that is so big? Just a cluster of it. It took two people to carry it. It must be massive, you know, like massive. So the report was great, but it's too risky. Yeah, God promises great. We see the potential, all those things, but uh, too risky. We're not willing to pay the price. We're not going to go that far. That's pretty much what they're saying. Many aspire, only a few attain. And here's the thing. Pretty much this is what they're saying. We're just kidding ourselves. We're just a bunch of slaves. And those guys are giants. And yet, before they got to that place, in Mount Sinai, God said, whatever the people are, you are my chosen people. Exodus 19. So guess what? They said, why did God bring us this far? Have you ever asked God that question? I have. <laughs> we don't have to pretend here. I mean, I have. There were times where I, I feel like that. Why, God? Well, it's what you do after that. But this is what they did after that. We're better off in Egypt. Let's choose a leader to take us back there. They failed. After having my mind fully alert for action, I need to be constantly sober. Then I can set my hope to the future. Like I said, anything less than this is not setting a hope. It's just daydreaming. But I want you to 
I want to draw your attention to another set of spies from a different generation that went to the promised land. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. So they went, they, they uh, spied out the land, and the locals detected it, and then they were looking for them. They were hiding in the house of a prostitute by the name of Rahab. And I want you to hear the conversation here. Joshua chapter 2, verse 28. So the people came to this woman's house, Rahab's house. She said, no, no, they're gone to somewhere, to the mountain. Go after them. After the, uh, the, the locals went, chased after them, she went upstairs and looked for these two people. And this is what she said to them. Okay, it says in, in Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up. On, on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Ooh. Okay? We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to uh, Sihon and Og and the two kings of the Amorites east of Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She seems to have more insight than God's own people. Now, you've got to understand, okay, this is 40 years after the first group of spies, you know, the first spies, groups of spies, they were 40 years before. You would think that after 40 years, the locals would have forgotten the parting of the Red Sea, but in this case, according to the story, it's still fresh in their minds. So it is, it is safe to say that 40 years ago, that that event, the event would have been exactly the same. As a matter of fact, it would have been fresher, the parting of the Red Sea 40 years ago to the locals. And there would have been more fear 40 years ago. So the problem was, you know, I believe the 40 years ago, there would have been trembling, just like people in Jericho. Because they heard the same story. God parted the Red Sea. Guess what? The enemy is trembling, but the Israel, Israelites thinking, thinking, and stinking thinking is wrong. You know, Jericho is one of the fortified cities now, just as it was 40 years ago, and as other cities when the spies went there. If anything, after 40 years, the defense would be more sophisticated, I believe. <laughs> you know? Will be more developed. So the problem 40 years ago wasn't the locals, but the Israelites were just a bunch of slaves. A bunch of grasshoppers. But here's the thing. When the new generation crossed 
crossed over the Jordan River under Joshua's leadership. They've been transitioned from just a bunch of slaves to a fighting army. It takes more than liberated slaves to possess our inheritance. You've got to be a fighting man. You've got to be willing to fight. Yes, I'm saved by grace, then grace alone. But I am not just saved. I'm saved to possess something. But it takes a fighting man to do that. And it took God to transition Israelites. 40 years. You know, in Hebrews chapter 4, I think it's verse 11, right? It says, God was so angry. It says, in my wrath, I swore that they will not enter my rest. But Israelites coming to promised land. Just a thought, okay? Because I'm talking about discipline of mind here. Whatever you think of rest is, rest doesn't mean inactivity. It's not the Bible language. Because, okay, the story is this. The moment they hit the promised land, guess what? Manna from heaven stopped. No more manna. Yes, they go into the promised land that flows with milk and honey. Guess what? You want to find milk? You have to find the cows first. It's not falling from heaven. You want honey? You have to find the beehives. It's rest, but it's active. Sometimes Christians are just going to rest and just do nothing and just nothing going on in your head. No, no, you have to be vigilant all the time. Be alert all the time. Always be on the alert. For as long as you live in this world, there are still fighting. Even in rest, your mind needs to be fully girded, fully alert for action, always sober while you're setting your hope for the future. Anything less, just a dream. Can I have the resource, please? I want to tell you a personal story here. I want to tell a personal story. Some of you who've been here long in, in our church know this story because we all experience it together. Two years ago, we as a whole ch- church as a whole experienced something crazy. Within in 2016, within three months, we, we lost almost 50% of our congregation. I don't need to go tell you why. It was just messy. It was tumultuous sound for many of us. And let me say this for those who stay. It says more about you guys. Who are still here. 
And for Dai and I, it was really the, the rockiest time. Now, listen, listen. You do not lose nearly 50% of your, of your congregation and feel nothing about it. If that's the case, be two things. Number one is you live in denial. Number two, you just don't care about people. When you care for people, there's a level of taking it personally. Now you have to measure how personal you take it. So it was such a rock, rocky time for Diane and I. We prayed, we, you know, all kinds of things. And uh, to the point that the, uh, our state executive actually uh, took us, they, 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 they came and they sent us to, uh, to a counselor. Probably he's actually the, the best. They, they even said, listen, we don't care. We fly you. Wherever it is, we'll fly you. And the guy's here actually in Melbourne who's the president of Christian Counseling. So he counseled us. It was great. Took us through. We steadied the boat, and as a matter of fact, to the point now, really, people, many people say, you know, the, the church feels different. It, it feels more like a community and family. Yeah, we steadied the boat, and we recovered. We, we've recovered well, even to the point we, we can feel God expanding. You know, expanding things. You know, in the place Diana, we steady ourselves and expanding our influence. And, but here's the thing, you know, even to the point that last year when, when we, uh, we went to Indonesia, the, you know, the English language and all those things, our influence expanded. Last year we went and met with the governor of, of a province who, set, you know, who pretty much put a stamp of approval for our, our English school in Ambon. They're all excited. I mean, you all heard the story from Diane. But here's the thing, throughout the whole thing, like there's no more battle, nothing, but throughout the whole thing for about six months probably, I felt this heavy feeling. It's like, I said, God, the battle is over. But, and, and I stayed it for a while, but I, and then I felt this depression start to, to sink, you know, enter into my heart. Even when we were in Ambon in Indonesia, sort of meeting the governor, like, I was restless. What is it, Lord? What is it? Why am I feeling like this? When I say depression, listen, I know what, it, I really know what it means. The feeling of throwing up every now and then just for no reason. Just, you sit physically, it's like, I just want to throw up. No, it does that to you. I prayed. I get up 4.30 in the morning, 5 o'clock, go to the gym and all those things, but still, it's like this heavy feeling and you, you go to bed let me be honest with you go to bed you pray God give me a good sleep with a secretly sort of in, in, deep down in your heart you feel like you kind of secretly hope maybe if I don't wake up I'll be alright you know? so I thought what's happening here so until we came back from from, from, from Ambon this is like November early November we came back and I saw his father I said to die, die what's going on here so guess what I decided to go back to the council I said I don't know what's going on here I am so 
just feel lonely and just wanted to cry at the, almost like at the drop of, of a, just like that, just, you know. And here's the thing. I went to him and he said, what you're going through is what we call post-traumatic stress. Because in the moment of intense situation, you hold it all together, but now nothing happens. You feel safe. You sort of let go. And now you get hit big time. So both Diane and I, we, we went to him. As a matter of fact, I'm still going visit, visiting him uh, weekly. This is really interesting. And we sat with him, and then he started to give me all these points of what I need to do. <laughs> the funny thing is, it's all the DMS teaching that we need here. <laughs> it's, it's all DMS thing, who you are in Christ. And I taught one or two subjects of that. Are you kidding me? Why do you think Federer need, needs a coach? He's a champion. <laughs> what do you think? No, uh, no, uh, what's his name? Novel, whatever. Djokovic, yeah. Djokovic. Why do you think he needs a coach? We all need somebody. Here's the thing. When I let go, and I think, oh, everything's fine, I let go and I lose this thing, not having my mind fully girded. Not having the loins of my mind girded, be alert. Not constantly sober. I let go of the discipline of how I think. I'm not through it yet. But I decided, okay, I'm going to pick up my weapon and start. And one, 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 this is what, what, what the guy is, is very good. He said, there's a point in your life when you go through something. He said, not your wife, not your pastor, not your counselor can disciple you. Only you can disciple you. No one can. In a critical point like that, only you can disciple yourself. You have to take the truth and own it. And just, yeah. When you want to react, every, every feeling inside of you want to do something and then you as the mature man just say, no, this is what the truth says. The way he described it, he said, this is what happens. When he asked me questions and I told him, he said, Brother, it, it sounds like a little boy looking for a safe home. <laughs> and he said, the new creation Brown, the mature man, he is the only one that is capable to disciple that little boy. Not Diane, not your pastor, not even me as a counselor. Only him. And I said, this is the thing, when I confronted the issue in the church, or even with Diane, I would run into my cave. He said, there's nothing wrong going to your cave. It's what you do in the cave. 
when you go to the cave, be sorrowful. say this you know that's a song it's not over till it's over <laughs> how many have you heard that song you've never heard that song it's the most spiritual song <laughs> I've ever heard it's not over till it's over <laughs> I'm going through what I'm going but it's not over till, till it's over I'm fighting today. Throughout that time, he, this is why having a good wife is amazing. Actually, it was Diane who actually pushed me to go to the council because I'm sort of like, no, 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 I'll be fine. You know, I tend to have that kind of denial sort of thing. But I said, no, bro, go see. And she actually made the, the appointment. And listen to this. Dan said, Bron, while you go through this thing, just know there's no victims in the kingdom of God. Don't act like a victim. There are only victors in the kingdom of God. But you, are, you can only be a victor when you fight. No, I mean it. No fight, no victor. There's only one way to be a victor. You got to fight. Here's the thing, with the, with the children of Israel, the victory was guaranteed. All they needed to do is just fight. When Jericho, the walls of Jericho fell, it wasn't because they had bulldozers and cannons and all those things. God did it for them. God just wanted them to fight. And many Christians... I'm saved by grace, that's it, but they have the slave mentality and unwilling to live a disciplined life and unwilling to fight for what's going on in their heads. Deep in the inside, you're amazing, but there's something wrong with your head. No, I'm not talking about you, I'm just... <laughs> something wrong with your head. Maybe it's lack of hair. <laughs> and I said, Brian, and I remember driving, you know, with me, like, how are you feeling? And that would say, say to me, Brian, you need to thank God for everything. Just keep thanking God. It's like, just be thankful. like if when, when you start to thank God it's like brings everything into perspective let's all stand up I don't know what's going on with you guys you guys are facing stuff in your life giants all God wants for you to do is to take the truth as the word of God and fight with it. We've created, because we live in this generation, as I said, that grew by feelings. And we've created wimpish Christianity. Whatever we feel, whatever we feel, it's like, 
And let me say this. When people say, I'm led by the Holy Spirit, they mean, this is how I feel. No, actually, Holy Spirit leads you according to the truth. The Holy Spirit's job is to confirm the truth. As a matter of fact, He is called the Spirit of truth that leads you into all the truth. He's, gonna, he's not going to lead you anywhere because He's Spirit of truth. He will lead you into all truth. So if you live your life not being led by the truth, but by how you feel, you'll be a victim all the time. Unfortunately, the victim mentality, you know how powerful it is? People play that victim mentality. People use that to use people. Absolutely. Because... Yeah. And I refuse to do that. And I'm glad my wife is being a prophet. She spoke into me. Love, don't do that. Whatever you do, just be careful. You're meant to be a victor. And a victor is only a victor as much as he's willing to fight. Not about being tough, but taking the truth of the word of God submit to it. I feel like whatever, but God, I'm going to surrender to you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, bless your people, Lord. As we finish this meeting, we fellowship with one another, Lord, we pray that you will lead our conversations, our words, as we speak to our brothers and sisters, Lord, we'll build one another up as we enjoy our fellowship. Bless your people, Father. In Jesus' name. If you still need to be prayed for, just take your time. There's no need to rush.